but before we do, I want to just share a call. I want to share a call to prayer this morning. And it's an appropriate call uh, this morning to prayer. This uh, that I'm about to share with you comes from the Archbishop of um, the Episcopal Church in Jerusalem. But it is as well, um, it comes, there, there's several individuals that have called for peace. And um, what I'm about to share this morning, it, it comes out of a, the message I want to share this morning comes out of my own sense of wrestle with what I think all of us have been trying to digest and figure out. Uh, how, do we, how do we discern what, you know, you know, how do we make sense out of the atrocities and barbaric uh, violence that we see unfolding in front of us? And so a couple of things I want to say to us as followers of Jesus, I want to just give this very strong, strong exhortation that we don't fall into a camp of uh, anything other than embracing the heart of Jesus. So my, what that means is a, a, um, a quick 30-second answer isn't going to work for what we're... If you, you know, my dad used to say this to me. He, he said, you know, I grew up in a time when Somehow it was something that you wanted for your children that they could go to war for your nation. And he said, I hope you never, you never have to face that. He said, if you want to know what hell is, that is what hell is. And, and I would agree with that, with that statement. If you want to know what hell looks like, we've seen it in front of us. Barbaric hatred and violence lived out. And as another individual that uh, put it this past week, Brian Zahn put out a post on, on one of his social media feeds that said something like this that said, um, if, if your idea of God is teaching you to hate, you need to come back and un- understand who God actually is. Uh, so, let me, let me just say, and I'm not going to in any way somehow teach on this in a way that gives, uh, I'm not going to try to go into, into depth in this, other than to let me acknowledge a couple of things clearly. And as most of you know, I usually try to be fairly nuanced, but this isn't just because I'm trying to be nuanced. It's true. The enmity that we're watching in front of us every day did not happen just a few years ago or in our lifetime, or 50 years ago. This is actually an enmity that we see initially opening up in the Scripture, that you have enmity between brothers that were actually both have a covenant promise from God. There's an interesting reality. That's in the Scripture. Am I telling the truth, right? So, and yet, <clears throat> when this enmity is, is uh, lived out in violence or hatred, it always ends in the place uh, of death. And it always ends up in a place where we're seeing 
uh, hell being lived out in front of us. And so, for instance, one of the state, you know, there's some statements that are being made. Uh, I, I mean, I've heard them both ways, you know, pray for one nation, pray for the other. Can we pray for all men and women for peace? Can we? Yeah. And so, so part of this is let's not be simplistic, but let's, and, and so one, one of those simplistic things is that we not mix up. Uh, I grew up in an evangelical background where we almost had, it, it, was, it was, this is a rather simplistic way of saying it, but where we saw Israel as spiritual Israel as, as, as if somehow the political nation had God's thumbprint on it. And I, I think that's a very simplistic uh, way to begin to interpret what's happening in the world around us. So, okay, I, I don't want to take that position as if somehow I can endorse hatred or violence on, as excused by God. That's, it, as the more I come to know the heart of God, what I see is a God who is giving himself in self-giving, self-emptying love and forgiveness for the sake of mankind. This is the gospel we proclaim, Right? Yes? Okay. So then the other simplistic answer, as I heard it even this morning, I was listening on, you know, making my track in this morning to make sure everything was on correctly. Tom and, uh, and, and Mary are on holiday. Um, Tom and Jen. Tom and Jen. Sorry. Oh, Lord, this is being recorded. Uh, so they, <laughs> anyway, uh, Tom, you guys know who, you know who's on holiday. Okay. Uh, Hammer and Jen. Let's just say it that way. All right. Get back on track. So I, I heard this statement being made by someone who works among those uh, trying to form Palestinian policy, and they said, you know, make no mistake, all of this lays at the feet of those who have, uh, have not given recognition to Palestinians and, and gave no recognition at all to the violence that's occurred, as if it was an excusable violence and hatred. And so again, very simplistic. And, and those who've gone in the streets, you know, saying this is all one nation's fault or one people's fault, um, I, I want to remind us that the, the leader of the terrorist organization of Hamas, I mean, it's, it's in black and white, called for a day of jihad, not just against Jewish people, but against Christians. I'm identified there, okay? So, so violence is the, is the weapon of hell. It's the, it's the atmosphere of hell. Jesus comes and proclaims peace. And according in the Gospels, it says he removed the wall of hostility, the enmity, creating the one new man. This is the gospel we proclaim. Could we begin to say, Lord, I want to explore again in my body, in my brain, in my thinking that somehow there's a gospel that's large enough. See, one of the ways that this can begin to get, get proclaimed is, well, this is just going to go on. And yet, Jesus invited me as a follower of him to embrace what it means to be a peacemaker, that somehow this gospel would bring actual, tangible change and that his kingdom would be known today and here and now. So I don't want to take this sort of view that says, well, we'll just wait till it all gets over with. But Lord, I want to live right here in this place 
and say, oh, God, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. So prayerfully you hear what my heart is trying to express in this. This is a call for prayer. I want to just read it and invite us to it. Uh, Dear brothers and sisters, grace and peace to all of you from our Lord Jesus Christ. Once again, we find ourselves living through hard times in the land of the Holy One where we are surrounded by war, violence, hatred, and destruction. Many in our region now live with great fear and uncertainty, and that is true. Nevertheless, from Jerusalem, the city of the resurrection, I send you all hope for the assurance of a better life, one with a brighter future, more blessed circumstances, and freedom from bloodshed, injustice, and death. We condemn all acts of violence and killing, especially of civilians and the innocent. And we advocate for justice and comprehensive peace for all living here in order to stop the vengeful cycle of violence. We exhort everyone to exercise self-control. Since everyone loses in war, we call for all parties to pursue peaceful diplomatic solutions toward a just and lasting agreement for both peoples in a two-state solution. Only in this way we can enjoy freedom, peace, and justice. To this end, we pray without ceasing for justice, reconciliation, peace, and an end to hatred and war. We also pray for God to change the hearts of all leaders, decision makers, and all countries around the world. We are in dire need of hearts that love, show mercy, and are willing to live in unity with others. Hearts that respect human dignity and choose life rather than death. You know, one of the thoughts that occurred to me before I get back to this, as I was thinking about this this morning, I thought, oh, Lord, thank you, thank you that just, what, 40, 50 years ago, there were leaders in this country that said there needs to be change, but what we believe is we're going to choose a way that we would choose a way of nonviolence to bring change rather than violence. We're actually beneficiaries of those who said, I'm going to learn from how Jesus did things. It's possible. Is there somewhere an amen, right? Right? Okay. We therefore call on all congregations, institutions, parishioner families to join with our sister churches in the land of the Holy One in observing this coming Tuesday, October 17th, as a day of fasting and prayer for peace, reconciliation, and an end to the war. We suggest organizing prayer services and joining other congregations in their services so we can pray together with one spirit and one heart. We entrust the countries of our Lord's earthly home into the hands of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, asking for his mercy on us to give us peace and his blessing. Amen and amen. So I, uh, on Tuesday, uh, won't be able to organize something. My wife and I will be traveling, but I want to encourage us, if you would, let's gather together in prayer on that day. And say, Lord, as it is in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Um, the message that I want to share with you this morning, the title I've given is The Lord a Good Shepherd. From the 23rd Psalm, um, this formed in me out of two different thoughts that occurred during the week. One, obviously, in the unfolding of the war that as I often do when these things happen, I, I, wanna, I actually kind of pull back a little bit emotionally because I don't want to get myself fully enthralled in what people are saying. 
But as I began to read about this, I'm like, this is war at a whole different level than I've ever experienced in my lifetime. And all the concerns that, that it means... Uh, I, I already alluded to this. I heard this regular affirmation of Israel as a nation growing up. But then as I grew up, I began to see the difficulty that was facing the Palestinians and unrecognized people oftentimes, not just overlooked, but, but bearing the brunt of nations, not just one nation, abused the second thing that occurred, and so I, I grew up, I grew up, I mean, I woke up earlier in the week, and there's this foreboding sense on me, and I was like recognizing, okay, this, I think I know what's going on. The second thing that happened is I was surprised, pulled up to my mailbox on Monday, and there was no mail, and Denise and I looked at each other and said, wait, what did we miss? And... Uh, <clears throat> Only rediscovered it was a national holiday. What used to be called Columbus Day, celebrated on October 12th, when we were to remember Columbus discovering, quote, the new world, and now it's called Indigenous People Day to acknowledge that it's hard to discover what was already known by a people who lived there. Um, you know, Denise and I lived, uh, have, have worked in our lives to form relationships with Native Americans. One of them that stands out in my mind, and this is why these two connected for me, was, was the injustices that can go on from one generation to another when there is no reconciliation and justice. We sat with a friend in the car on the way to a longhouse meeting as he began to tell us the story of his journey, and he dressed up in his Native regalia, and we're getting ready to go into a longhouse meeting with the Native Americans in Indiana, and, and then he shared with us how he had to, I forget all the individuals he had to, to reach out to, to just secure a passport. This is a man who was born on King Island in Alaska, okay? He was born in Alaska as an Inuit. But when he went to get his passport because he began a ministry that would require him to go to other nations to work with Native Americans or indigenous peoples from other countries, he was told, you don't have an American citizenship. That actually happened because he was born in the land that was not recognized as belonging to America. And the people is not actually American. This, in, our, in our lifetime, I'm like, wait a minute. This isn't something out of the history book. He's sitting in the passenger seat of my car. See, injustice can go from one generation to another. And my point is there is no lack past or present of how we, the, the world of injustices has touched us and can begin to form the story of our lives and one of those ways that particularly has happened where injustice begins to, to, to become into clarity is where uh, we've seen the world through the lens of purely of conquering and controlling others, and it's left this trail of brokenness and pain. So again, I, I, I wake up, and I, I'm feeling this funk, and... Um, and I'm, I'm recognizing kind of what happened. I, I'm like, okay, I know I had a bunch of weird dreams. I dream most nights. 
Sometimes they're like, you know, the, they're the versions that I call the God dreams. Where I'm like, oh, wow, that was encouraging. Or, oh, dear, we need to watch out. Uh, but this for, it was just kind of this foreboding heaviness. And so I've come to recognize and learn as I've, you know, grown in my journey with the Lord Jesus that many times that heaviness isn't necessarily a bad thing. Now, see, I, in my religious background, uh, I grew up, uh, you know, with the idea if you wake up sad or bad, uh, sad or heavy, it's bad. But Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn and lament. See, I always thought it was a deficiency. So I'm beginning to learn, like, oh, I'm recognizing something. Okay, maybe this isn't bad, but let's, let's come and bring that before the Lord. And so I begin to, to just bring this before the Lord. So allowing, you know, and, I, and so as I'm beginning to, to pray, I'm beginning this foreboding, but I'm feeling a sense of fear. And then I'm, I'm just setting, sitting with it for a minute. And, and one of the definitions of fear that I, I really appreciated that I've heard recently is that when we allow our mind and our heart and our body to imagine a future, that we are alone and without what we need, without God. So I grab a cup of coffee, and I'm like, okay, I think I know what I'm feeling. And I, I begin to do something that I, I know I've shared with you guys regularly, been a transformative in my life, that, that I began to go through my regular morning prayer liturgy. Uh, a statement that the, the fellow who trained me in this liturgy said, you know, when you don't know what to pray, sometimes it's good to just say your prayers. So I began to say my prayers that morning. I wasn't sure what all I was feeling. So I began in confession. Um, Eternal God, maker of heaven, maker of earth, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, true and living God, have mercy on us. I began to go through confession, confessing the Apostles' Creed, confessing my own sin, moving into the, to then the 23rd Psalm, and then I didn't make it through the rest of my liturgy because I got stuck. Now, I prayed the 23rd Psalm countless times, and, and, and on this morning, I'm, I'm beginning to encounter it afresh because I'm just allowing, I'm, I'm trying to pray through them slowly. The Lord is my shepherd. I'll not be in want. And I begin to recognize, oh, wait, something I'm feeling want and lack in me. And, and, and so as I'm going through this, I'm thinking, oh, wait, there's some confessions I'm making, a couple of them that are really, really critical. One is that the Lord is my shepherd and that he is with me. So, interesting, the Lord is not just the rightful ruler of my life, but he's a shepherd, and so I'm beginning to meditate upon this, and I'm recognizing this heaviness that's on me, and then I begin to start doing some exploring, and I'll, I'll talk to you about some of that. Look, first point about that exploring I, I want to I share with you is so assuring, it's so comforting when we begin to say, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, for us, for me, I grew up in a religious background, so I you know, often heard the idea of a shepherd being connected with something that's good. The Lord as my shepherd, the one who's, you know, you see these pictures of the Lord carrying a little sheep around. It's great. But, you know, what's interesting is that the first organized civilization known to be organized in the world in 2000 B.C. is in, were called the Sumerians. 
And uh, let's see here. If I could, do, do we have that picture there? Can you pull that up? The first Sumerian king. So they, they would have ruled around the area of Iraq. And biblically, that, you know, according to the historical account in the scriptures, is pretty close to what we've got, you know. But the, the first king that documented is, yeah. Can you go ahead and sh- shoot that first one up? Uh, that, that is a picture. What we have is a, a, they, the king, the cap that he, the crown that he would wear would be a shepherd's cap. Okay? So this is actually uh, a, a statue that is documented that the first Sumerian king, the way that he ruled... And established leadership was by wearing a shepherd's hat as a crown. Now, what's curious about this uh, is that later, several hundred years later, this idea catches on. We have kings and leaders like Egyptian pharaohs that identified themselves as shepherds. Now, uh, do you happen to have that one... uh, yeah, the one of the pharaoh that we can pull up. Yeah, let's go ahead and show that one real quick. And the, so the Egyptian pharaoh, one of the things interesting about the Egyptian pharaohs, they wore these, you may have seen these historical headdresses that are wide on the outside that are, you know, well, the idea was they were to look like a cobra. And the most dreaded, feared animal in Egypt, so the idea was, I am capable of striking deadly force very quickly. That is the Pharaoh. But he also, interestingly, this is in stone, guys. They they actually had a shepherd's crook because they wanted to also be referred to. In fact, there were a couple of Pharaohs that literally demanded to be called the good shepherd. Now, Babylonian leaders did the same thing. It's interesting. So this wasn't a reference to compassion and care. This is a reference to the ruler of the empire that could conquer and that will control. Interesting, isn't it? Words have meanings. And it's important that we unpack them. Uh, One of the ones that I find chilling, you know, for instance, is in uh, the former Soviet Union uh, Joseph Stalin, the world's historically up to this point most murderous dictator, over somewhere around 20 million of his own people, was referred to as the father of all peoples. When he, when he died, people wept uncontrollably because they looked at him as a father. There can be a perversion of these words. Okay? This is why David in the 23rd Psalm begins to identify it. And, and he knows, by the way, um, what is it? You know, he's, he's about to become the leader of a great nation. And yet he is, as in the 23rd Psalm, he identifies a shepherd by what he does and where he is. Those are the two things I just want to point to. And these are the ones that really just jumped at me uh, this past week. I, you know, Denise and I had these, un- thankfully, we, we had the privilege of being able to visit Morocco this last year. We're driving through uh, the countryside, and over and over again, we're seeing individuals that literally are living with their sheep. 
doing life with their sheep. So a shepherd is identified by what he does, where he is. Not as the head of an empire to conquer and to control, but one who cares and knows an individual, cares for them, whose intent is to be compassionate and to share that caring love with others. And, beloved, that is the good shepherd, and that is good news. Now, in the 23rd Psalm, again, David knows he's going to be the next leader, and yet he doesn't locate God as the leader of an empire. You should underline that and remember that. Our greatest hope and comfort isn't the leader of an empire. It's the fact that we have a shepherd who cares for us and who is not absent in our darkness, but in compassion is actually with us in our own darkness. What kind of shepherd is he? Where is he? The Lord is my shepherd, I will not be in want, means that he is committed to providing all that we need at his expense. Again, beloved, we proclaim the gospel. The word shepherd in the Hebrew comes from the word ra'ah, which the easiest way to define that is a best friend. We're not talking about a ruler. that I'm disconnected with, I have some of an image in my house. I know who that is. Where David's identifying a friend who is motivated by love to care for the needs of his sheep who is with them. The goal of an actual shepherd is care, provision, and wholeness. Paths of righteousness isn't just about the right decisions. It's a, the word righteousness in the Hebrew is interchangeable with justice. The way that I normally pray this, it comes from the Anglicanized Psalm 23 version. And the, the, the Anglicanized version of Psalm 23 says, He guides me in paths of righteousness, in the right pathways of righteousness, uh, for his name's sake, meaning that that path is restoring and reviving. David's painting a picture of a shepherd who is, interestingly, not concerned about conformity or control, but care and flourishing. I want to proclaim this in the name of Jesus. We must always... Re- as we open the scriptures, as we try to discern the days that we're living in, God, what is your goal? Your goal is human flourishing. What does human flourishing look like? It looks like the life that he described as good in Genesis 2, when man is living in relationship and representation of God. A true shepherd is guiding us into that place. So many. So the reason this bears repetition is because There are shepherd-sounding systems in the world, and there are shepherd-sounding systems, it needs to be said, in religious structures that unfortunately have oftentimes been more about conformity and control than caring, compassion, and love. So often those systems reveal our lack. And then, like in the world's systems, 
it, it promises that if we'll consume something, we'll get what we need. If you conform and you consume, you'll, you'll, you'll be in. That's not a shepherd. A shepherd is defined by what he's doing. A shepherd's defined by where he is. In a world of empire, claim that the, where, where empire claimed the role of shepherd, and by the way, let me say this, it still does. That's the truth. I'm not talking just about one nation over another. David invites us. The scriptures invite us. Oh, Lord, renew my imagination again. A, a, a shepherd who actually brings me into wholeness and flourishing. So I'm going to read the 23rd Psalm uh, and then try to, if, uh, I'll, I'll blaze forward as quickly as I can, okay? But I'm going to read this out of the Passion Translation. I, I, I'm not like fixated. It's just new to me. And, you know, I love reading scriptures out of a new translation because it brings new life to my heart. So I've been in the mirror. Now I'm, you know, working at the Passion Translation. Yahweh is my best friend. And my shepherd. I always have more than enough. He offers a resting place for me in his luxurious love. His, he tracks me, or excuse me, uh, just realized I didn't have the whole psalm in my, in my notes, so I've got to open it up here. Hang on. His tracks take me to an oasis of peace near the quiet brook of bliss. That's where he restores and revives my life. He opens before me the right path and leads me along the footsteps of righteousness so I can bring honor to his name. Even when your path takes me through the valley of deepest darkness, fear will never conquer me for you already have. Your authority is my strength and my peace. The comfort of your love takes away my fear. I'll never be lonely, for you are near. You become my delicious feast, even when my enemies dare to fight. You anoint me with the fragrance of your Holy Spirit. You give me all I can drink of, uh, of you until my cup overflows. So why would I fear the future? Only goodness and tender love pursue me all the days of my life. Then afterward, when my life is through, I'll return to your glorious presence to be forever with you. A shepherd is defined by where he is and what he does. I'm reading through the 23rd Psalm that morning, and where I found myself recognizing, oh, we're going to have to spend a little bit of time here, was when I got to that transitional verse between verses 3 and 4. Because in verses 1 to 3, David is saying, the Lord is my shepherd, not, not empire, not a leader of an empire, but the Lord. He brings me into wholeness. He cares for me. And then, and then suddenly, David, there's this transition in verse 4 when he says, you are with me. But before that, he makes that phrase. He says, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, an actual place in Israel where they would actually walk in fear in the shadow of death where marauders and, and raiders would come against individuals. David says, oh, even in the worst that I could imagine, the darkest place, 
You're not absent. Guys, beloved, any gospel that proclaims to us an idea of distance, that God is distant or delayed, is one that needs to be reexamined. You are with where? Me. Let's say that together. You are with who? Me. That is a game changer of game changers, beloved. You know, I began to pace in my office, and I thought, oh, my goodness. I pulled out my journal, and again, I'm identifying how I'm feeling, and then I just began to write down, and I'm writing this out before the Lord. Lord, how much, how much fear, how much is my own fear of failure of imagination anchored in a sense of lack that allows my mind, my body to be captured by the idea of a future without you? absent of a good shepherd. And when we allow ourselves to camp out in that place, we're unable to see who is present and what's possible. But the truth remains the same. You're with me. You, whose presence is able to restore, refresh, reverse, repel, return me to the place of wholeness. Verse Four, I'm sitting here meditating. You're with me. And I thought, oh, I'm going to look at the original phrasing of this verse. I don't think I've ever done this before. And I began to look at it. And, and I, I, in a short time, I began to discover that rabbinic readers consider this phrase the most precious and profound phrase in all of the Psalms. You are with me. Ki ata emadi. I probably butchered it in Hebrew, but that's my best shot. Okay. But here's what it means, and here's some of the definitions behind what it means. You are with me. In the original Hebrew, it means that the essence of that person, not just the idea about them, but the very essence of that person is personally present to sustain, and that that person's primary concern is to protect and to care for, and they're alert, and they're ready to act, and they're right there. The essence of your person is with me. You're not just a picture on the wall. Now, the root of that Hebraic word comes from two different languages, the Akkadian language and the Persian language. And let me share with you a couple of things behind that. The first is out of the Akkadian language, and it carries the idea of a wounded warrior who's brought up to stand upright by a friend and keep them from falling. You are with me. I'm the wounded one. You are with me, to keep me from falling, to keep me standing. I think I actually have other verses that say that very thing. The other is from the Persian language that reveals an individual who's persistent in maintaining the value of what they're overseeing, even if others don't. They, are, they know what it's worth, okay? I think you've heard me talk about this before. You know, if I threw a $100 bill in the middle of the room and it was full of dirt, would you be less interested because it had dirt on it? No, because you know it's worth, even if it's got some dirt on it. 
Jesus tells this story of the pearl of great prize in the middle of a field covered in dirt, obscure, lost. Did it change its value? You are that pearl. The Lord is my shepherd. He knows the value of what he is supporting and protecting. You. Ki ata imadi. You are with me, the essence of your life. Your whole being is actively present tense, sustaining and supporting because you know the worth of what you're valuing, of what you're caring for. I'll not be in want because you're with me. See, the opposite of that reality is not just fear, but surrendering our souls to the shadows of isolation, disconnection. And by the way, if you want to know, you just want to think deeply philosophically, like, okay, what's behind the forces that benefit from soulless, barbaric activity? Not just the marketplace, but even war? That, that, what is it? Well, it's when we've given up the idea that somehow, God, you could be with me. And, and therefore, I've got I've to go with the party line that says consumption and conformity is the most important thing. When you said communion is at the heart of it. The Lord is my shepherd. I'll not be in want. You're with me. That I could live in the shadow of death and know that I'm loved, valued, seen, cared for. Guys, I, I just, I, I want to, you see, it's easy, it's sometimes easier for us to like disconnect and go, oh, look at that out there. But I, I want to, like, I want to embody what we're talking about, meaning this. Lord, help me to give attention and affection to the things that leave my body and my soul connected with you and others. And if it's something that's leading me to disconnection, leading to you know, live a life that's disconnected in the shadow of fear, insecurity, and isolation, maybe I need to take a look at that and come back and surrender again to something that's true. Lord, you're my shepherd. You're with me. Could it be the good shepherd leads me into a place of wholeness who can restore and revive even in the valley of the deepest and darkest of shadows? Could it be that you're with me even there? Truth be told, um, and this is why so, so many of us struggle with this, it isn't hard. I wasn't writing that in my journal as an accusation. It isn't hard to imagine a future of lack. Um, and that leads us to surrender to the shadows of fear. So it's not insignificant that it's here that the psalmist makes this proclamation again. And, and uh, verse 4, you, you're with me. That good, you're with me. 
the triune, good shepherd God knows how to keep us standing and to present us in his presence with great joy. That's how Paul said it. So, let me give this as an invitation. Perhaps our greatest need is not to attempt our, to talk ourselves out of fear, but rather to surrender to what is true. You're my shepherd. You are. And you're with me. You, you who've never distanced yourself from me, you who can keep me from falling, you who knows the value of what you're supporting and watching, you're with me. Even when I don't believe I have value and I feel like I am lost or dirty or buried in shame or buried in despair, the one that is near knows the value of what he's protecting. Beloved, this is the essence of hope, the anchor that holds us as we ride in these incredible, tumultuous times, the Lord is with me. Now, here's a last nugget thought, okay? One Hebraic teacher says it this way, that that phrase, you are with me, is written in future perfect tense. So here's what this means, those who know languages. I don't know them all that well. I took a little bit of language study, a little bit. But what it means is this. It's an action that's already occurred, but it hasn't. That's the gospel. I'm with you always to the end of the age and forever. Selah. Amen. We know a shepherd by what he does and where he is. Not the head of an empire, not the head of an organization, but a shepherd who knows and cares for us, who's intent not about controlling, but about revealing his compassionate love. And seeing that revealed through our life in real time, that we could have an imagination. Lord, somehow, through our prayers, I am... I am the first couple of days, part of my heartbreak over what occurred a week ago on Saturday was that there were, there were men and women, brothers and sisters, living in the kibbutz near the border in Gaza who believed this reality, who were giving their lives to care for the less fortunate around them. To, and they were working with Christians in Palestine and Christians in Israel to bring aid and help and comfort to men and women and boys and girls, and their lives were taken. Now, that's heartbreaking, but I want to remind us, this is where God has revealed his kingdom in that very atmosphere. This is the, this is the place where Jesus came and revealed the gospel. This is our confession. Christ has come. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Lord, we come uh, this morning. Lord, this stuff touches us in all kinds of different ways. 
Lord, have mercy. Help us. Uh, we don't want to be disconnected. Help us. Help me. I don't want to be disconnected from my neighbors around the world, but, Lord, from my neighbor right next to me, from men and women right around me, from family members. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. God, have mercy. Lord, we come as we stand in this hour now where we say, Lord, let your mercy be revealed in our lives, in our day, in our time. That where the adversary, the rulers and authorities have been able to perpetuate generations of hatred, violence, hell, that we cry out, let you let heaven be revealed. Let your kingdom be made known to restore and to make new in this day and in this time. Lord, we don't know all the dates and the times, but we say in our day, in our time, Lord, you've given us this day. Let your mercy be revealed in our lives. So we want to surrender to the way of Jesus, and we give that, Father, in his name. Amen. I want to invite us this morning, if you would, would you join me in this closing prayer? I really appreciate all you guys hanging in here with me. I went a little long this morning, but let's, let's pray this closing prayer together. And if you have something to share in communion, those of you who are on the call, if you have just something there to share together, we invite you to join with us. We're going to be sharing communion together in just a few moments. But let's pray this prayer together. Shepherd of all, by laying down your life for your flock, you reveal your love for all. Lead us from the place of death to the place of abundant life, that guided by your care for us, we may rightly offer you our lives in love for you and our neighbors. Amen and amen.